0: Welcome everyone. This is the fourth episode of the podcast of the Million Vegan Grandmothers and I'm delighted to interview in this time Dr. Silas Rao, my mentor, my friend, my fellow colleague and climatehealers.org and um, just a shining example of what one human can do when their heart is in it and their, their mission is true. So, Silesh. Um,
1: thank you. Uh,
2: yeah, thank you so much for that. Mm-hmm. It's a pleasure to be here with you. I was wondering,
0: you'd mm. Your recent book just came out, The Pinky Promise, and it was quite a funny story. I'm wondering, when did Silesh have a chance to write another book? You've been so... <laughs> well, I got sick for a little while, so I wrote this Pinky Promise that people have been asking for. So maybe you can say a little bit about what led up to that, and then a little bit about the book, The Pinky Promise, and how it's doing. I know you had a tour through India with it recently.
1: Well, thank you, Tammy. Yeah, I, I was part of the Land of Ahimsa tour of India, with Dolly Vyasa Huja, the producer of Land of Ahimsa, and uh, um, my son Akila had come with us, and parin was there as well. So the four of us were touring India, promoting the Land of Ahimsa, and I got sick in uh, Surat. So it's towards the end of the trip. Now. So we just had to go to Rajasthan after that, and then we were going to go to Nepal from uh, Surat. So, I got sick eating something in a restaurant um, and I was violently ill. I was throwing up. And so the team left without me because they were all fine. And uh, they um, went to Rajasthan and I stayed back in Surat. And so I had been thinking about writing this book. And this is the first time I was out in bed, you know, and I had time so I could. Uh, just pour it all out. And it came out, you know. I mean, I wrote 12 chapters, the 12 stories, and it came out uh, within four days. I, it was almost its final form when I left that, when he left Surat. So I went straight to Nepal and joined the team there. And then uh, I asked Kimaya if she would illustrate it. And she agreed, because <laughs> she knew all these stories, and it happened between the two of us. She and her mother illustrated the book. And uh, and then we finally published it like uh, beginning of the year. And when I was uh, thinking about the 12 chapters, I realized it was actually the 12 steps of a transformation. And I had no idea when I wrote it, it was like that. But it became the 12 steps steps of a transformation. And uh, I, I sort of, figured out those 12 steps and I wrote a preface for the book, so that people understand. This was what happened to me to help me transform from a climate heating to a climate healing role. And it was basically
2: my granddaughter who led me by, by the hand and showed me the way. Yeah. So tell us a little bit
0: about the Pinky Promise and the 12 steps and how that yeah, twelve steps to transformation. It's quite a powerful image, you know, as in the twelve steps right. of, of healing in many in many recovery groups. Because we're all in a state of recovery.
1: Right. Yeah. It's a it's it's a transformation, right? So twelve steps is really part of a transformation, you know. And uh, and I read the twelve steps of uh, AA Alcoholics Anonymous. It's a spiritual transformation that they're talking about. And in the same way, going from climate heating to climate healing is a spiritual transformation. It's a raising of our consciousness. And um, so, the so if I think about how it happened, you know, the first chapter in the book is um, is her, the story of her birth. So I call it the most amazing thing. Because uh, when I saw her for the first time, I felt like I was seeing some of, the, one, of the, one of the most amazing things that ever came into my life. Okay. And I've told her that. I've told her that she's always been the most amazing thing that ever happened to me. And uh, so uh, that is, uh, to me, it's my generation recognizing that there is something that their generation has to offer to us. Okay. Because you know, so far, we have been listening to our ancestors and our and the ancestors before us, and that worked as long as we were continuing to heat the climate. So it's basically taking from what our ancestors knew and continuing that forward. When I realized we have to transform to a climate healing uh, civilization, uh, I think the fact that the babies were able to teach us, right, you know. Teach us to be who we really are, Mm
2: -hmm. the
1: deconditioned version of ourselves. Who Who are we in that condition? And so that's what she brought me. That's the gift she brought me. Because when I saw that she, when I had that sense that she was the most amazing thing that ever happened to me, I basically surrendered to her and said, I'm going to do whatever this little girl wants. I love her so much because she changed my life that I was going to do whatever she wanted. And in that process, she taught me. So the second uh, step, you know, the first step is to surrender. So that's what I mean by the first step is to surrender and say that maybe I don't know everything. And therefore, I need to learn from the younger generation, from from babies, you know. So that was the first realization. And then the second uh, step to me was uh, I came to phoenix so uh, that's the second chapter to be with her right and that is like saying okay now that i i admitted that i don't know i want you to teach me mm-hmm. so that was the second step you know basically surrendering to her and saying teach me and the third chapter is uh, the the promises the three promises that i made to her uh, the first promise i made to her and she was about 3 years old at that time when I spoke to her about this, I said, number one, you are the most amazing thing that ever happened to me. And number two, I will always love you no matter what you do. So you can count on that. And number three is that I'll always tell you the truth. I'll never, ever lie to you. So those are the three promises I made to her. And that established a relationship of trust between us so that she could she could tell me anything that was in her mind and she knew that I wouldn't judge her, okay? That allowed uh, me to learn from her because she wasn't putting any barriers. She was just telling me what was in her mind. Um, so, So that helped me understand that, you know, we tell stories and we play games. And this is how we human beings collaborate among ourselves. This is how we become a very powerful species, right? because we are able to collaborate and coordinate our actions among billions of us and no other species can do that you know i mean other than maybe you know i mean even ants i don't know if they can do it among a billion ants right so uh, this is why we are able to heat the climate because we are able to coordinate our actions right so to so then to you know to heal the climate we have to tell different stories and play different games and that's what i was trying to understand you know how do we do that and again she taught me that because she loved to play infinite games games that had no end no beginning no winners no losers uh, and she was very clear about that she didn't like any winning and losing i mean unless she was always the winner <laughs> But, and even then, you know, she wanted to keep running around and round. And uh, like one time when uh, we were playing hide and seek, you know, she came to me and she said, I don't like it when
2: I cannot find you. So from now on, I'm going to tell you where to hide. And then she would tell me where to hide and she would
1: pretend to look for me in other places. And even when she's hiding, she would call out to me, knowing, telling me where she is. And I would pretend to look for her in other places. And she would be giggling when I'm looking. Is she here? And she'd be giggling. <laughs> so it was, all, it was just a play, right? So she just wanted to play. She didn't want uh, this uh, winning and losing. And so I realized that's what we need to be doing in a climate healing civilization. You need to be playing games that have no end, no beginning, no end. These are called infinite games. Okay. Uh, when we were heating the climate, it was okay for us to play winners and losers type of games. So that's how you heat the climate. But to heal the climate and to um, maintain it at a uh, at a good level forever, so this is what I consider to be our role as a species. Uh, we have to play infinite games. So that's something she taught me, you know, and. And then it was the storytelling, right? So I realized that she doesn't like any stories with violence in it. And she would tell me right away, what is wrong? You know, why would they do that? So um, I was actually proud of our epics. You know? uh, so I was reading to her. Uh, I wanted to read to her Ramayana, which is one of our oldest epics. And uh, so I wanted to inculcate in her the Indian culture, right? So I was reading Ramayana to her. And Ramayana is uh, uh, is one of the earliest epics, and then came Mahabharata, which is much more sophisticated. Mahabharata is has much more complex characters and so on. And all these epics have morals. You know, this is they're trying to teach you morals in these epics. So, but before I could even get through the first chapter, she stopped me. And she said, "What is wrong with King Dasharatha?" I said, "What do you mean?" And she said, why is he shooting a deer? That deer was just drinking water in the river and goes and shoots it. What is wrong with him? She just couldn't understand why people would do that. And you know, for us, it had been normalized. That it is like we expect kings to go shoot deer. The kings will go hunting. And for her, it was um, unthinkable. And so she told me that at that point, she shook her finger in my face and she said, don't ever read stories like this to me again. <laughs> because she had that sense that she could um, tell me what was in her mind and I would, I would understand, right? So she had that relationship with me. So that was it, I stopped reading that to her. And I realized that we tell a lot of violent stories to our children. And that's how we condition them into violence and that's how we have been maintaining this climate heating civilization and to become a climate healing civilization we need to be telling non violent stories stories of you know
2: um, us being in harmony with nature right so that was that's the fifth chapter
1: so like every chapter it was uh, it was another step
2: in the transformation
0: So at what age I've heard this story and um, I would love all the listeners to hear it that haven't heard it yet. At what age were you reading her a story and you were telling her that, you know, she was telling you essentially all, all the animals are our family.
2: Mm.
1: Well, Mm. that was when she was five years old, she was in kindergarten at that time. And the way it happened in, I mean, because as a systems engineer i was looking at uh, the loss of biodiversity as the leading indicator for how soon we have to transform our civilization because there is no question we have to transform our civilization okay because if we continue going this way we are going to overheat and and we are all going to die off we know that so how do you transform a civilization and how soon we have to do it so to understand how soon we have to do it i was watching the uh, World Wildlife Fund Living Planet report, and that comes out every two years. And that indicates how, how fast we are killing wild animals, okay. We killed 52% of wild animals between 1970 and
2: 2010.
1: And that report came out in 2014. And I was shocked by that report. I was shocked by those numbers. Um, and then I did a calculation, assuming that we are killing wild animals at a rate proportional to the size of our economy. And I extrapolated that to see how fast are we killing them all off. And the answer was 2026. We are on track to kill them all off by 2026. Now at that point, you know, I, uh, I thought maybe my calculations could be wrong, and and you know, why am I raising an alarm when you know it may not be that bad? And I deeply regret that I made that choice today, that I I didn't immediately raise an alarm and start working on this right away. I waited two more years for the next report to come out. And that said that between 1970 and 2012, we killed 58% of wild animals. So that 52 became 58 in two years, right? And at that point, I realized that my calculations were spot on. It's going to be close to 100% by 2026. Okay. Now, the reason I regret that is that, you know, if you realized that half of humans have been killed in one island or something, not an island, you know, I mean, on the planet, half the humans have been killed, would you say, well, you know, we have time? Hmm. So why are we so conditioned to think it's okay that half the wild animals have been killed off. That's what I regret. You know, Because it's horrible that half the animals have been killed off in just 40 years.
2: And uh, our children are going to question us about this in the future. Why didn't
1: we take action right away? So that's why I regret it, because I know that I'm going to be questioned about this. Why did not I take action right away? So anyway, I didn't. And in 2016, when the second, when the Living Planet Report of 2016 came out, and I saw the numbers, I was, uh, I realized, you know, it's a serious issue, and I need to address this right away. The 2026 was the timeline. Okay, so... That evening I was reading a story to my granddaughter in bed. Uh, and at the end of the story, it was actually uh, Ruby Roth's book, That's Why We Don't Eat Animals. Now at the end of the book um, story, she put her head on my shoulder and she said, uh, Grandpa, who were the first human beings? And uh, since I promised her that I'll never ever lie to her, I I was thinking about how to explain the theory of evolution to her. So I told her, okay, imagine that you're standing on the street and you're holding your mama by your hand. And you ask your mama to bring her mama to stand by her side and so on. So you create a long line of mothers on this side of the street. And on the other side of the street, you ask a chimpanzee to do the same thing with her mother and her grandmother and so on. By the time these two lines go from Phoenix to Tucson, they will merge. This is about 150 miles or so, right? So, because that's what the theory is. No, that that, that's when we branched off from that uh, to
2: to be two different lines, and so both lines are going to say, "Hey, that's my mama too." And immediately
1: she just sat up in bed. She said, "What? Are you telling me that animals are my family?" You know, I mean, I knew that in a very subliminal, I mean, way, right? But she felt it viscerally. It was now part of her. And so when she asked that question, I said, yeah, now that he put it that way, they are your family. She mm-hmm. said, then, then why are people eating my family? You know, grandpa, make them stop. They're eating my family. She started bawling. -hmm. And she started naming names of people she knows who are eating her family. And I was, I was, it was as if my heart was being wrenched out of my chest because I felt I wanted to do something to console this little girl because I had turned her world into a world full of monsters. Okay. Because she was seeing them everywhere. And So I was trying to console her and I was just trying to tell her the truth. And in the process, I created this world full of monsters for her. So I was trying to console her and I said, Kimaya, this is what I do. It's my job to make them stop. And immediately she just stopped crying and she looked at me and her eyes went wide and she said, this is your job? This is your job? You know, you haven't done your job. And then she said, do your job. She yelled at me. Do your job. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And then she said, when will you do your job? Tell me, when will you do your job? And I blurted out, I better do it by 2026. Otherwise, we're all in big trouble. And she said, at that point, will you promise me that? I said, okay, I'll promise you that. She said, will you give me a pinky promise? I said, okay, I'll give you a pinky promise. And I had no idea what it meant. Okay, so... And she asked me to um, hold out my pinky. And then she locked her pinky in mine. And then she said, you can never, ever break a pinky promise. And then she put her head on my shoulder and she went to sleep. And I I couldn't sleep because I realized I'd made a very serious promise to a little girl. And on behalf of my generation, to her, to her. And that I better figure out how to keep it. And at first, I thought, "Who am I, you know, to make this promise on behalf of my generation?" I'm just an engineer studying this problem. But the next morning, I woke up realizing it is my responsibility. It is my responsibility to to do this because uh, you, in any project, and to me, climate healing is a project. Say, and it's actually an engineering project because you think about it as because you have a common goal of healing the climate, and there's an objective. And as soon as you say there is an objective and a common goal, it becomes an engineering project. Okay, That's what engineers do. We, we all come together as a team and do something together. Right? So it's an engineering project, and I realized that in any engineering project, the system engineer gets involved first. The systems engineer's job is to figure out how to solve the problem. Okay, and so it's my job, it is my job, and I better take that responsibility. And the more I've been working in this, the more I realize that, it, I mean, it is entirely, you have to take on that responsibility for everything yourself. Okay, as you grow more and more in consciousness about this project and, and the problem that we are trying to address, it does become <laughs> it's individual responsibility. So I said that we are each born with a uh, with a steering wheel in our hands, and we are either heating or healing, right? so we move it one way or the other, and steering wheels always come with responsibilities and always come with your own I mean you know that you have the power to move things one way or the other okay so so i I think Nelson Mandela was right when he said, um, you know we're not a f- think, what did he say? How did he put it? He said, we're not afraid that we are uh, powerless. We are afraid that we are powerful beyond measure.
2: Right? Mm-hmm.
0: Yes. Yes, Marianne Williamson quotes that a lot.
2: Mm. Yeah. Know,
0: that our biggest fear isn't that we're not good enough. It's that we're powerful beyond measure.
1: Right.
2: Yeah. And, yeah. and
1: I think that is true. We are powerful beyond measure and we shouldn't be afraid of it. You know, We should embrace it. And um, that's when the consciousness level you know, goes up for humanity. We are powerful beyond measure. We have changed the climate of the planet. Now we have a responsibility. With power always comes responsibility. And um, responsibility to take care of all the other animals, take care of all life on earth so that everyone can thrive.
2: You know?
1: um, so that's um, that was my... Uh, so I'm really grateful to my granddaughter for putting that responsibility on my shoulder and saying, you are it.
0: <laughs> right. So the responsibility of the grandparents mm-hmm. and the grandmothers are stepping forward, you know, and and thanks to this beautiful creation, Kamaya, you know, you are calling many, many people forward, Salash. You are a shining example of, of the people that, um, that feel supported in your presence and want to step forward and do their part and know how because of your ability to gather people and organize people in your, in, into systems so we can feel, you know, we can, we can take our individual gifts and, and bring them into the climate healing, you know, solutions and, and the spiritual journey as the grandparent's. And I know for myself as a, as a grandmother, I feel that intense love, you know, it's a love that you can't explain. We, of course, we love our children, but the grandparent love, it's, it's a whole other, it's a whole other thing. It's a whole other thing. And, uh, within climate healers, the million vegan grandmothers have just launched this, this last week and we're moving forward and we're gathering people globally. And, and we feel it's our responsibility because the grandmother's, You know, when they've done their inner work and they've, they know what they're here for and Mm -hmm. they join forces, then, you know, they feel maybe for the first time, some of the grandparents that are gathering, the vegan grandparents that are gathering are feeling for the first time that they have the, the ability, the ability to make a difference Mm -hmm. in that joining. So it's, it's a powerful movement when we gather together isn't it sarash
1: absolutely yeah uh, to me the million vegan grandmothers initiative is the key to to making this transformation happen because you know fundamentally the current climate heating system uh, is founded on world hunger mm-hmm. okay so 10% of the people uh, have been constantly hungry right so it's the same ten percent who remain constantly hungry. I mean, it's uh, unfortunate. So people have a hard time getting out of that hunger um, once they once they fall into it, right? And uh, the, that's hunger in terms of not getting enough calories. So you feel that pangs of hunger. Other people are actually hungry in the terms of not getting enough nutrition. Ninety-five
2: mm-hmm.
1: percent of Americans don't get enough. Fiber in their diet, you know, and 90% don't get enough magnesium in their diet. So it's, there's a whole list of micronutrients that we lack in our um, regular diet. Okay. And this makes us consume more and more and more. And this is what the industry is trying to get us to do, right? Because that's the system we have created, right? It's about growth at all costs. And that's the system we have created. So, uh, this is why I see grandmothers as the key to the transformation, because if grandmothers were in charge of the world, no one would go hungry. I'm absolutely sure of that.
2: Okay?
1: No one would go hungry. And so I would rather have you know, a decentralized network of grandmothers in charge of the food system. Yeah, and in charge of the entire system eventually, right? So this is the maternal has to wake up and take over. Because uh, we have suppressed the maternal for so long among our species. And uh, it's, this is the time for the maternal to wake up and say that we want to take care of this planet. This is not a playground for us and to you know destroy the playground and then go off and find other playgrounds. This is the home. This is our home. This is where all life, every
2: all life that we know of is here. And so uh, it's a celebration of life. So
1: this is why when you stepped up and said, I want to create uh, the million vegan grandmothers, I was so happy. Yeah. And Because I calculated, you know, there are maybe 100 million vegans on the planet, um, 70 to 100 million vegans on the planet. And there is at least a million vegan grandmothers, I mean, real million vegan grandmothers, there are at least a million of them, if not more, right? Mm-hmm. And um, so, uh, and you're representing them, yeah, and you're basically saying on behalf of the million vegan grandmothers, this is what we want to do, this is what we want to do. And we invite all the vegan grandmothers and grandfathers and uh, because this is the maternal within all of us
2: mm-hmm. that
1: needs to be awakened mm-hmm. um, to to join and to help in this project so that we first feed everyone healthy food,
2: okay?
1: And make sure that we have to take care of ourselves first. Mm-hmm. So it's as if we are on the spaceship earth and we are hearing all these alarms going off saying, you know, uh, the climate is overheating, the, you know, it's, it's being polluted, and everything is dying off, et cetera, et cetera. You're hearing all these alarms, and the oxygen masks are falling off, right? So what is this oxygen mask for us? We have to first put it on ourselves, which means we have to first heal ourselves. And then we'll be in a position to heal all life. So we will be in a position to re, uh, regenerate the forest, you know, bring back the ecosystems, the ecosystem restoration work that needs to be done.
2: Or everything that we destroyed over the last 10,000 years, we can return them. Yes. 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 Yeah. It's the, and that's, yeah.
0: Return of the, it's the return of the elders and the wise ones and the maternal of us all. You know, grandmothers, when we're gathering and it, it's an invitation, you know, in this podcast to invite everyone, you know, every vegan to join the mm-hmm. million grandmothers, because the grandmothers always welcomed all of the family, you know, all of the family and to celebrate, to laugh, to play, to eat, you know,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and as Joya said, when the grandmothers decide to go vegan. When the grandmothers say no enough, or I'm not going to feed my family food that's just destroying their health and making them sick and creating suffering, then the whole community will go vegan.
2: Right. Yeah. And it's
1: not just vegan, you know. I think the grandmothers will will ask people to eat healthy food. They're not going to give you food that's going to make you unhealthy and sick. So grandparents will never do that, right? So it's so this is why I'm convinced that it's going to become a movement uh, driven by grandparents towards health for human beings, health for the planet, and high harmony with nature.
0: Right, right. Well, Tuttle said that recently, you know, it's mm-hmm. it, it, there is this kickback. You know, I'm writing this article right now with my partner, and it's, it's a response to some vegans going back eating flesh food and one of them figuring a carnivore diet might might help them. And it's this backlash by the by the industry to try to mm-hmm. not allow people to remain vegan, but it's a whole food, plant based, healthy, a lot of living food diet. It's not a junk food vegan, which could easily create leaky gut. And it's not flesh food we're lacking. So part of this transformation is to teach everyone how to thrive, be a hundred percent successful on a whole food plant-based vegan diet. And feed everyone, feed everyone. Everyone have access to food.
2: Mm -hmm. Right.
1: So when we all have access to healthy food, all human beings have access to healthy food, then we start thinking clearly. And then we can start, you know, doing, I mean, I, I'm sure the ecosystem restoration work has to happen simultaneously, but that's when we will be most effective right. at doing that, you know, the oxygen mask rule on a plane, right? So you have to heal yourself, put on your oxygen mask first before you help others
2: with their oxygen masks, you know.
0: Well thank you Silash. any final words on as we call people into our community and to the million vegan grandmothers and our responsibilities to join together
1: for- Yeah i say this is the this is one of the most creative periods in human history so join us and don't get stuck in the old ways and thinking that that's the only way to live you know there are we have shown that there everything can be changed and we can we Each of us have become like an example, right, of the change that that can happen in our lives. So I really, truly believe that when we transform ourselves, transform yourself, we
2: transform our world. Thank you, Salash. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Namaste, vegan. Namaste, vegan.